minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy! Five, four, two, two, one. From inside the Masson newsroom, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. Live, of course, on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. Reacting, talking, discussing, taking comments. And, of course, you could be listening to this afterwards on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and SoundCloud and all that good stuff. In which case, please rate, review, and subscribe. And, Brendan, we usually do a, a cutesy kind of opening to... Just start things off slow, but we got to get right into it because the Orioles made some massive moves yesterday, shook up their entire infield, and we're going to talk all about it. Uh, Yesterday, of course, was the non-tender deadline. We knew there was going to be some news on that front because the Orioles came into the night with seven arbitration-eligible players, but the bigger news was made right before that deadline, that 8 p.m. deadline yesterday, and that would be the trade of Jose Iglesias to the Angels. And, Brendan, this deal comes almost a year to the day last year of the Dylan Bundy to the Angels trade. It comes a year to the day of the Jonathan VR trade and a a surprise only because the Orioles just picked up his $3.5 million option about a month ago. Yeah, find somebody who loves you the way Mike Elias loves Angels pitching prospects, apparently, because this is now, what, six pitchers that Mike Elias yeah. has gotten from the Angels? My, maybe the Angels, we've always heard about how the Angels have poor pitching and they always need more pitching. Maybe they would have better pitching if they didn't trade six pitching prospects to the Orioles in two years. Yeah, but the Iglesias trade, I think, is a little less surprising to us. I think we saw this coming a little bit. But it's nonetheless, I think, a little disappointing if you're looking at it from a standpoint of how are the Orioles going to do in the 2021 season? Because obviously he was one of the best offensive players on the team last year, provides a lot of good value at a very key position at shortstop. And if you're looking at the 2021 season, then this is a disappointing move if you're an Orioles fan, I would think. It is, but if you take the long view, and the longest view in the room typically belongs to Mike Elias, it makes a whole lot of sense. Before we talk a little bit more about that, we're seeing some comments about who exactly they got. The two pitchers that they did get back in this deal, Garrett Stallings, right-handed pitcher, who was a fifth-round pick out of Tennessee uh, a year ago in 2019, did not pitch professionally, but um, has a legitimate four-pitch mix apparently, according to scouts. Um, And Gene Pinto, who was a recent international signee, so a a young guy, I think under 20. um, Yeah, 19. Whereas Garrett Stallings is 23, um, obviously pitched three years at Tennessee, so he's much closer to the big. So so Stallings is the clear prize of these two guys, and he immediately slots into the Orioles' top 30, uh, the number 26 prospect, he, he was number 21 with the Angels, now is the Orioles' number 26 prospect, right behind Ryland Bannon, right ahead of Cody Sedlock. Yeah, we've talked about it with the Orioles. I've mentioned it a bunch of times on this podcast that Mike Elias continues to stack the deck for those guys who have the potential to be a number three, number four, number five starter at the big league level because that is going to give you a lot of great depth in your starting pitching rotation 
to go alongside the studs that you already have in Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall. So the message is clear, and that is go get starting pitching because it's going to be important down the line. I mentioned it with guys that the Orioles already had with Zach Lowther, Michael Bauman, that group. When the Orioles traded for Kevin Smith last year, he fit into that group as well. And now you throw Garrett Stallings in, who I think we would agree is probably the best prospect of the two here and the most promising. A four-pitch mix at the minor league level is really hard to find. And I think he is going to have a solid chance to be an Orioles starter. At the very least, I think he's a long reliever swingman type. But again, it's just somebody who you're continuing to stack that deck with if you're looking at the back end of the Orioles rotation in and, a few years. And for how long have we heard that the Orioles need better pitching? How right. long have, has, have they had problems with their talent pipeline, especially in terms of pitching? So the more guys you can get there, the better. Um, but look, we, we you said it off the top, Brandon, we get the frustration from fans because Jose Iglesias was outstanding last year. He was... My vote for most valuable Oriole. He came in second in voting for most valuable Oriole, right behind Anthony Santander. He hit 377. I think he led the American League in batting average. Now, granted, he played 30-some games out of the 60, so small sample size. Uh, showed some pop near the end of the year. Was, by all accounts, we weren't in the clubhouse, but by all accounts, he was great in the clubhouse, great mentoring some young guys. And he still, despite his hamstring injury, made some pretty spectacular plays in the field. Think of the play up in Buffalo against Toronto where he threw out that runner uh, coming home on a relay from Anthony Santander. So he was exciting. He was fun to watch last year. He was one of the best storylines on the Orioles last year. But this move make, made too much sense not to do. And, and just like the move that we talked about a week ago where you know we're not going back and, and changing our opinion on this. We're, we have been on the record as saying that this is a deal that they might make. We a, What, a month and a half ago or two months ago, we're talking about potential deals that the Orioles could make this offseason, and we brought up Jose Iglesias' name several times. And bring, uh, you know exercising his $3.5 million team option changed things a little bit. It, all it did was keep him under contract, but... You know, that that was a significant monetary deal to bring him back. But it just made too much sense not to move a 31-year-old shortstop who is entering his final year of team control, uh, who is coming off his best career season. Yeah, that's that's the point I wanted to emphasize. If you were watching along with us, you saw his 373 batting average on the screen. Jose Iglesias, I can say this confidently, is not going to hit 373 in 2021. He's just not. He's a guy who you are hoping would hit 315. If you get 315 from Jose Iglesias, that's awesome. But Jose Iglesias is not a 370 hitter. He is maybe a 300 hitter. So below th that for his career, I right? Mean, yeah. So this is a guy, like you said, 31 years old. He is in the last year of team control, and he is not going to have a better year than he had last year, at least on paper. Yeah, we, we would be still be talking about him in seven months or eight months, whenever the July 31st trade deadline is, eight months, I guess. We would still be using his name um, and talking about potential moves that the Orioles could make to deal him. So they were going to deal him at some point. He was not going to be a long-term fixture because eventually, and it, it, it won't be the case in 2021, at least to start the year, but eventually he was going to be blocking guys. He was going to be blocking a Gunnar Henderson or a Taron Vavra or one of these shortstop prospects. So 
it only made sense for him to come back for one more year at most. So if he was going, and the, the other option was going to be you keep him for the entire 2021 season and he walks and you get nothing for him. So to flip him at this point when his value is never going to be higher, coming off a career year, it is a, a classic Michael Elias move. And, and the, the Jonathan VR comparison, because just talked about it is a year to the day of the Jonathan VR trade, and I remember the uproar after the Jonathan VR trade because VR played all 162 in 2018, or 2019, I guess. Played all 162, stole 40 bags, showed uh, pretty strong power, was, by all accounts, a good guy in the clubhouse and a veteran guy in the clubhouse and was going to be an, your opening day uh, shortstop, most likely, in, in 2020. And the Orioles flipped him. And there was some outrage from fans and some upsetment, and I get that. But Jonathan VR is a free agent right now, and he is not getting a whole lot, probably not going to get a whole lot of interest out there because he was going to walk no matter what. So it is a classic Michael Elias trade, and it made sense for a lot of reasons. And let's keep in mind, too, just how much Jose Iglesias overperformed last season. His value is not going to be higher than it is right now. And let's keep in mind, too, that this is a guy who you brought in for relatively cheap before the 2020 season because he did not have a lot of interest around the league. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he. I think his deal was $2.5 million the first season and a three point. $5 million option for the team option for the 2021 season. Most other teams would probably view Jose Iglesias as a veteran presence in the clubhouse who can play a rotational shortstop and can be a utility guy around the infield. Most teams in Major League Baseball probably would not have brought Jose Iglesias in to be their everyday starting shortstop. And now all of a sudden, after his great 2020 where he showed a lot of flashes with his bat, the Angels are viewing him probably as a guy who can start for them. That was not the case before the 2020 season. So Michael Elias and the Orioles right now are capitalizing on the fact that Jose Iglesias really overperformed his expectations in 2020. And I'd be willing to bet that if you waited on Jose Iglesias and traded him at the deadline in 2021, he's not going to be hitting yeah. 373 at the deadline. There's no way. No, so I think probably... This is the best Jose Iglesias that you can deal right and, now. And there's a chance always when you keep a guy for a certain amount of time that he could get injured. What if the hamstring acts up on him again and they have to shut him down for the season? Um, and, and then he had, loses all his trade value and then he has to walk for nothing. We're taking comments as well as, as we're live on Facebook and YouTube. And a comment from Billy H said, and look where VR took the Marlins last year. He wasn't on the Marlins for half the season. They traded him because he was not performing well at all. Uh, and traded him to the Blue Jays halfway through the season and hit, what, 230, I believe, and had an OPS well up below 700. He did not have a good season at all. Um, so, yeah, uh, you had to make, not had to, but it made a lot of sense, uh, as we said, to make this move, um, dealing Jose Iglesias. And it it just, it, it is a classic Michael Elias move. It, it, it fits the script of the other moves that he has made uh, in previous off seasons, and it opens up a, a pretty big hole at shortstop, and we can talk about who's going to fill that um, because there are not too many in-house options at this point, um, and it appears that another move could be on the horizon there. As Michael Elias said yesterday, that they still have some work to do uh, in in terms of the infield and filling that in. And look, the past 
three years they have for two or three years they have made a move bringing a guy in either on a major or minor league deal to fill in their infield depth they like to put good defenders there because currently the only in-house options at shortstop are Richie Martin Pat Vileka who they agreed to terms yesterday to avoid arbitration Ramon Urias and Yolmer Sanchez who is not really a shortstop but when they claimed him off waivers from the White Sox Michael Elias said we think that he can play shortstop that it's not a very strong group right there. Yeah, an important question from Bart O'Reilly on YouTube. Thanks for following along. Who is going to be the Orioles shortstop next year? And yeah. that is the obviously the biggest question that this Jose Iglesias trade opens up. Uh, hi, Mike Elias. It's me. If you're listening, Andrelton Simmons. May I present future <laughs> Hall of Famer Andrelton Simmons. This is once again my plea for the Baltimore Orioles to sign Andrelton Simmons, the platinum glove one of the best fielders of all time at shortstop is probably a better hitter than Jose Iglesias. Are the Orioles going to sign Andrelton Simmons? Probably not. Do I really want them to? Yes. They're two very similar players. Yeah. And we have talked about how it would kind of be funny if they traded Iglesias and then signed Simmons, but yeah, half of that is done now. Right. So they, they could go out and... Depends on how, how low his price goes. I think... When you talk about other free agents in that position, I think we're probably going to be talking about some lower-level names um, because I don't know if they want to get an everyday guy. And Anderson Simmons, at this point, is he's not the same player. He's, what, 31 years old, and his offense has certainly dropped off a bit. But he's still an everyday shortstop, I think, by most teams' count. So though that current infield group is not spectacular... I don't think they necessarily need to sign an everyday guy because I think you can move Richie Martin back in there. What if he starts at AAA Norfolk, has a great couple first months of the season, seems to have figured some things out. You want to be able to bring him up and start him every day at shortstop or give him some more playing time. Um, you know, what if Ramon Urias turns out to be better than you expected? What if some one prospect in your system, Jordan Westberg, Taryn Vavra, Gunnar Henderson – flies up through the ranks and all of a sudden is knocking on the door to be in the big leagues in 2021. So I don't think this necessarily needs to be a major league signing, but I do think they need to get somebody to fill out the depth there. And the way I'm looking at the shortstop spot for next year, third base for 2020 was pretty much a Rio Ruiz audition. It was a season to see if Rio Ruiz could be a long-term answer at third base. Maybe not long-term because you had other prospects coming up through the system like Gunnar Henderson, who could potentially slide over to third base, Jordan Westbrook, those guys. So it was at least an audition for, to see if Rio Ruiz could play third base for the O's for the next few years. And I don't think that he showed enough to be that third baseman. But I think the shortstop position could be a similar type of audition for Richie Martin, because he got a little bit of an audition already, but obviously was dealing with some injuries and he was didn't not really ready. show you what he could do. He, I think it was too early for Richie Martin to to throw him into that shortstop spot right away. Yeah, I mean, he, he was not ready. He had not played any game above double A, um, and he clearly just did not hit the ground running and did not have a good year. But, you know, it's not time to, during a rebuild, you shouldn't be giving up on guys that quickly. So... I think it makes sense to give him another audition. But I, I, I think they don't think that he's, they're going to do what they did with him in 2019, which is start him every day. I think that they want to give him some time, but I don't think that he's going to be an everyday shortstop. 
Yeah. And looking at free agency, there's not a ton of depth at the shortstop position because you're probably not going to give like seven, eight million a year to Andrelton Simmons as much as I would like to. One name that I was looking at that might jump out is Danny Echevarria. Yeah, we talked about him a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, he's not a flashy name. He is probably not going to be your everyday shortstop, but he can play shortstop, third base, second base. You can bounce him around enough to kind of be a second utility man along with Pat Vileka. And if you don't like what you're getting out of Richie Martin, Echevarria is at least going to be a solid veteran presence, not as good as Jose Iglesias and not as good as some of the other bigger name shortstops on the market, but he's at least going to give you some depth in the infield, which the Orioles need right now, considering it wasn't just Jose Iglesias that departed yesterday. It was also Hanser Alberto. So that infield depth is quickly whittling down. Yeah, let's talk about Hanser because that was the other big move, obviously, Hanser Alberto non-tendered. We had heard some rumblings that it could be happening. He sent out like a cryptic tweet um, that was like uh, essentially kind of confirming that. Um, and then we got the news officially that they had non-tendered Hanser Alberto. He was due to make, according to MLB trade rumors, about $2.3 million in arbitration. A fan favorite. Um, and I think this one hurts, stings a little bit more than Jose Iglesias because um, not because he's the better player. I think Jose Iglesias is the better player, but because potentially he could be walking for nothing. And Mike Elias said that they, one, they tried to trade him and they couldn't find much of a market. So that tells you what other teams think of him out there. And two, he kept very much kept the door open for Hanser Alberto to return. And the way that he was talking about it, he said that the mutual, the interest is mutual. So he believes that Hanser very much could come back, but then Hanser also tweeted last night, uh, quote, uh, what does it say? Thanks, Birdland. I will always be grateful. Thanks to the fans for receiving me the way that they did the last two years. So that seems kind of like a goodbye. Now, it could be a premature goodbye, but it, it does kind of seem like Hanser is less, slightly less interested maybe about returning than Michael Elias is in retaining him. Maybe I'm just reading the tea leaves here. I don't know. I, I would be surprised if Hanser Alberto came back because his price tag for arbit- to avoid arbitration was not it was not high. Two point three million dollars is 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 not huge. Right. So if you're not gonna pay Hanser Alberto two point three million dollars if you don't value him that highly, I would be surprised if he was brought back. Now, do I think Hanser Alberto is gonna command more than two point three million on the open market? Probably not, but he could because he plays a decent enough second base and you can bounce him around the infield a little bit. And he showed flashes against left-handed pitching in 2019 to suggest that he was one of the better contact hitters against lefties in Major League Baseball. So I think he does have some value, but the important thing to keep in mind is that Hans Roberto, over his career, has really not been that good. And he was not fantastic for the O's last season. I mean, this is a guy who had a 698 OPS, a 283 batting average, a 283 batting average for a guy who is probably biggest and best trait is that he's a good contact hitter for a 283 batting average. That's that's not great. Slugged 393, had a 91 OPS plus. So he really didn't give you that much value. And it's understandable why Mike Elias didn't want to bring him back for almost two and a half million. It is. It is. But also, 
the same way that we talked about Jose Iglesias and kind of sample size with that 2020 season, sample size could be a factor here. And I think while Michael Elias probably hoped Hanser would have a better season than the one that he did in 2020, it wasn't a terrible year. And that 2020 or that 2019 season, a 305 batting average from a guy that really had never produced it at the big league level. I don't know. I, I just think that to, to see, first off, the return for Jose Iglesias, who I get is a proven veteran, but then to see Hanser not potentially walk for nothing is, is just a little bit harder to swallow. Yeah, I would agree. But also, we heard reports that the Orioles were looking for deals for Hanser Alberto and couldn't yeah, find they anything. Couldn't find any. That couldn't, they couldn't find any, and maybe that's that speaks to it speaks to what the like I said what the other what the other teams in the league think of him, but also probably speaks to how teams are treating their finances this offseason and how careful they want to be there. Um, but I would think that there would be some kind of better market for him out there, trade market. But you also, would think, yeah. But also, so if they look, if they end up bringing him back, no harm, no foul. It is. You know, no, nothing's changed. They they could just bring him back, and he could f- slot right back into your everyday second base job. Because we talked about how there's no depth at that shortstop spot. There is really very little depth at the second base spot, um, right behind Hanser. I mean, the names that we would throw out there. I guess they could move <laughs> Yomer Sanchez another position he could play besides third base or shortstop. They could play him at second base. Ryland Bannon is going to be playing in 2021 at the big league level, but. Probably not an opening day starter at second base. That's th- throwing him into the fire quite a lot. Um, but there's really not much depth beyond that unless you, you count the same names that we just discussed in Pat Valeka and maybe Ramon Urias. Well, it's funny. We've been talking about the outfield and just how much depth there is out there. It is the exact opposite story right now with the Orioles infield. I think right now, if you don't sign any free agents or make any trades for a veteran at either of those positions you're probably rolling out Richie Martin as your opening day shortstop and probably Yomer Sanchez as your opening day second baseman because I I really don't see how Pat Valeka works into the starting lineup but then again I didn't really see how Yomer Sanchez worked into the starting lineup so I, I suppose those are the two that you go with if you don't sign anybody else which is why I think they signed somebody else I think you pretty much have to yeah I think you have to. And, and and again, they could bring him back. They could bring him back. They could bring Hanser back and sign... In, in theory, they could bring Hanser back and sign Andrelton Simmons. It's probably not going to happen, but then they almost upgraded. <laughs> then they almost upgraded yeah. in terms of the shortstop. Yeah. It's so early in the offseason that all these chips haven't fallen yet, and we're going to see. We're not even in what should have been winter meetings yet. We'll have full coverage of what should have been winter meetings next week, um, and that's usually when deals happen, but who knows about this year? Probably not. Uh, but my point is, a lot of moves have yet to be made. There are a lot of deals out there that have yet to be made. Free agent signings, there are probably some trades that could, could happen at some point. So nothing is settled. The Orioles majorly shook up their infield last night with these two moves, uh, but nothing is settled yet. And it, it's not. It's premature to try to judge uh, their offseason yet because we don't have all the pieces in place yet. And I think it's natural to look at these deals, too, and be disappointed by the fact that you're just not going to see these guys in the Orioles uniform for 2021 because they played fun baseball. 
Hanser Alberto, really fun to watch. Regardless of his stats, he was one of my favorite players on the Orioles solely because he just loves the game and he's a great dude and he's just fun to watch play baseball. Jose Iglesias is electric at shortstop and he somehow hit 370-something, which is unbelievable for Jose Iglesias. And I get the disappointment that you're probably not going to see either of those two play for the O's in 2021. And realistically, if the Orioles don't sign a veteran free agent, which we're kind of predicting that they will, they're probably downgrading at both of those positions going into the season. But in this Jose Iglesias trade, you are getting back two really good pitching prospects, somebody who already slates into your top 30, And you have to keep in mind that the Orioles' time for winning baseball is still not right now. Yeah, I know there's improvements at the major league level. Ryan Mountcastle is really exciting. Trey Mancini coming back is also very exciting for the 2021 season. Guys are getting healthy. The outfield is looking good and fleshed out. It's still not the time. No, and and Michael Elias said as much. He said at some point the, the switch will be flipped. But we're not there yet. Right. And... And you can't take they for all the improvements that we saw last year from the young guys, and there were so many promising returns from some of those young guys. They still finished with the fifth worst record in baseball, so they still have a top five pick. They still have a roster that is not ready to compete yet. And you talk about the the depth in terms of the infield or lack thereof at this point. The Orioles have as we've talked about many times in this podcast, several middle infield prospects that are just waiting to make their debuts. The problem is they're at the lower levels of the organization. Taryn Vavra played at high A. Gunnar Henderson was drafted in 2019? Yeah, wow. Years go crazy. Uh, drafted in 2019. He's you know out of high school, so he's a young guy. Jordan Westberg was just drafted in 2020. Those are probably your three best infield prospects at this point. And... They're not going to make their most likely not going to make their major league debuts in 2021. Maybe 2022. Maybe. So, you know, those guys have not even made their debuts yet, and they're they're still several years away from contributing at a major league level, contributing to to winning baseball. So there's really no reason to block those guys to put pieces in place. Like it, it would not make a whole lot of sense if you could get Andrelton Simmons on a one year deal or maybe one year with an option, or maybe at most two years, that makes sense. But there's no reason whatsoever to put a long-term fixture in place at one position because we just don't know when these guys are going to make their debuts, how they're going to look when they make their debuts, and how good they could be because some one of these guys could be phenomenal, and there's just no reason at this point in the rebuild to block their path to the big leagues. It's still a rebuilding phase, very much so. It yeah. is not a retooling phase. And while we're talking about these trades, we both agreed that the Jose Iglesias deal, obviously how these prospects do is going to determine how good this deal was. But on its surface level right now, I think we would agree that it's a good trade. But acknowledging the fact along with that, that it is also nice to be able to see good baseball players on the Orioles and see them win some games. Yeah. So I just wanted to acknowledge the fact that we understand that not watching winning baseball is frustrating and trading away good players is frustrating but it's not going to be frustrating in two three years when all of these prospects start to come up and you just have all of these guys that are getting promoted to the major league level where you'll you'll look back 
a few years before and say, oh yeah, that was a good deal because now this prospect is coming up. He's 24 years old. He's going to be a stud at the major league level. We traded a 31-year-old Jose Iglesias for that dude. So come back to us in two or three years, and then I hope <laughs> that you will not be as frustrated when the Orioles are calling up these young prospects, and hopefully those young prospects are producing the winning baseball that was only made possible because you are dealing the good players that you have right now. And the Orioles have, according to MLB Pipeline, the eighth-ranked system in all of baseball. That's going to continue to go up. Michael Elias wants that to be higher. Yeah, He wants that to be a top-five system, most likely, because if your point, your whole purpose is to rebuild this thing with your farm system, you want to make sure that that farm system is as good as it possibly can be to provide a foundation for a winning ball club. So this farm system is still not at the point that he wants it to be, and he will continue to make those deals. He will continue to um, draft high at this point. He's going to add a top-five pick to this system next year in, in July or whenever the draft ends up being. So he wants to make sure that this system is really good, is not just really good, is great before that they, they can roll with this thing and start to win. Um, so they are still a ways away, and, and we have to be patient. And I know that can be very frustrating because we have been patient for a while. But look, Michael Elias took over a team that lost 115 games. They lost 108 his first year. And 60-game season, the winning percentage went up again. So let's not tag that first year of um, the rebuild onto Michael Elias's resume. He took over that team when they were already at their nadir. They were at the worst they, they were under Dan Duquette in his final year. Michael Elias takes over. They actually improved the first year, and then they actually improved the second year. So let's just calm down a little bit about, you know, about this team uh, not improving because they actually literally have improved as the years have gone on. It, I get that you don't, it may not be as fast as you would like it to be, but they are getting better at the major league level, even while they get better at the minor league level. Yeah. We got a comment on YouTube that said every single year, it's two or three years away. I think right now, realistically, it probably is two or three years away. Yeah. But two or three years from now, we're not going to be saying two or three years away because those prospects are going to be well, at the major league level. That's the time. And well, and, Two years ago, when Michael Ice took over, we were saying like five or six years away. Right. <laughs> Honestly, like we're getting that, there. The, the system was that bad at that point. The system was in the lower third in terms of all of baseball. The system was depleted of talent. And, um, you know, Dan Duquette had a, f a few good drafts right before he uh, left. But this system has grown immensely over the past two years. And, and it takes time. It takes time. These, these kids are, some of them are 18, 19 years old. Um, at this point now, they're heading into the 20, 21 years old. So odds are they're not going to be contributing at a major league level to wins for two to three years. And looking at the Orioles' top 30 prospects, a guy like Ryland Bannon is the 25th ranked prospect, a guy who we think is going to come up and be a contributor at the major league level. And that speaks to just how good these prospects are. In yeah. the top 30. Garrett Stallings is the 26th ranked prospect in the Orioles system. That number 26, don't let that fool you. He is a really good pitching prospect who would probably be top 20 in most other systems. We would probably be talking about him around the same ranking as a guy like an Alexander Wells well, somewhere and, else. And you notice 
in the same deal with the Braves, the Tommy Malone deal, where they got two players to be named later. One of them was A.J. Graffinino, who fit in as the Orioles' number 30 prospect, actually got bumped out by Garrett Stallings here. He was higher ranked in the Brave system. All these deals that, that we see where top 30 prospects come back, same with the Mets and Kevin Smith and, and Taryn Vavra from the Rockies. They were higher ranked in the original team system because the Orioles have a deeper, better system. So they drop in ranking when they get to the Orioles system because there are better players around them. The 26th ranked prospect in the Orioles system right now has a scouting report that basically says he has a four-pitch mix that is good enough to get him in a Major League Baseball starting rotation. Yeah. That is excellent. Yeah. It, this is how you start. This is how you start. And there are still many steps to be taken from this point to a postseason appearance, from this point to a true title contender. But the first few steps have to be made before you can make those, those later steps. He's just yes. doing this, at, uh, uh, you know, he's just, he's taking, trust the process. He's taking this slowly as he should. And it's important to keep in mind, the Orioles still have moves to make. Yes. These will not be the last moves that we see from Mike Elias. They have 39 out of 40 players on their 40-man roster right now, which means they have a spot open for the Rule 5 draft. Anthony Santander was a Rule 5 draft guy. So they're leaving a spot open probably for that Rule 5 draft, and hopefully they find a diamond in the rough somewhere there. We are thinking that the Orioles will probably sign a veteran free agent infielder, I would imagine. If they don't bring back Hanser Alberto, they have to probably fill a hole somewhere at that shortstop second base spot. Yeah. So there are still moves to be made. Let's not jump to Richie yeah. Martin is going to be a horrible opening day shortstop and Yolmer Sanchez shouldn't be in an opening day lineup. The Orioles are still going to make moves before the 2021 season, and I think before we jump to a conclusion of the shortstop position is horrible now and the second base position is horrible now, we've still got to see what Mike Elias has in store for free agency and trades. Yeah, at this point, the Rule 5 draft, we think, we still have not had 100% confirmation yet, is going to be a week from today. It's happening sometime. It is, it is going to happen, and the Orioles hold the number five overall pick in that rule five draft so they they could take somebody at that spot and seeing some comments as well tony in our facebook comments saying make it maybe elias has somebody in mind for that rule five draft and he very well could so it's it is as we've said many times it is smart at least to keep a spot open in the rule five draft when you are a rebuilding team um, we'll see if they end up using that and we will have reaction if they do or if they don't next week at, at some point uh next Thursday to discuss the Rule 5 draft, the results of that Rule 5 draft, and maybe the Orioles will have made another move or two in the coming week. Um, but so far, offseason, started out slow. Things got kicked up a notch in December. Yeah. Leave it to Mike Elias and the Orioles to kick the hot stove up yeah. a notch. Maybe some teams can sign some free agents now. Maybe. That would be fun. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. How about that? Isn't that what the offseason is for? One would think. One would think. Yeah. yeah. But here we are. Here we are. We'll see what happens. Uh, but thank you, everybody, for commenting along. And uh, uh, be sure to rate, subscribe, review, all that good stuff. Um, and uh, we appreciate it, as always. And we will have full coverage, of course, on MassInSports.com. Stephen Rock will have you covered there as well. Thanks to Bobby Blanco, our producer. Thanks to Hannah Broder behind the scenes as well. He's Brandon Mortensen, at Brandon Morty on Twitter. That's right. At Paul Mancano on Twitter. Give us a follow as well. And uh, thanks for tuning in. We will be back next week. We'll see you later.